This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the podcast, Calgary Heart Surgeon is responsible for saving two different strangers twice. He saved two men by first performing CPR on them in public and then days later operating on them. Dr. Corey Adams joins the Shift to share how he was really trained to save them and how it impacted him personally. He teaches us how we can also do the same and help someone in medical distress. Greg Fish breaks down why Facebook's new push for this metaverse might not work out the way they hoped. What is a metaverse, by the way? And uh, is Facebook even still cool? I don't know. Are You Okay is also on the podcast, Arby's, and so much more. This is the Shift Podcast. Are You Okay? Ryan O'Donnell is here. And Brendan Kelly is here. And are you okay with traveling on the ocean? Never done it. I've never been on an ocean. I've been on boats in lakes, but I've never been on a cruise. Never been, never on, been on a BC like a ferry. Boat. Never been on a BC ferry. Wow. You lived in Vancouver. No, sir. Yeah, never... Nope. Nope. Never been Not to Vancouver a... Island. What about the sea nope. bus? Water taxi? Yeah. yeah. The sea bus. Do you ever uh, go to North count. Vancouver? Oh, it's I've taken the boat. It's a boat. Yeah. It's a harbor. You're in the harbor. I don't. That's it's ocean. Hey. It's ocean. Uh, but. I love being on the sea bus. I love being on boats. I think boats are sweet. Uh, and if I was in the army, I'd probably join the Navy, even though it still probably wouldn't be a pleasant life. It would be a, I'd love being on boats. I, we're going to need to clean up that language yeah. just a little bit. If you were in the military, you would join the Navy. Oh yeah. yes. The army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The All army right. is like, yes, I know. Just, I, that raised worry. a couple of eyebrows. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, we need to get you on a BC ferry for a really bad, way too expensive I lunch. I think he's, he's mm. been on the taxi. That's the ocean to me. He's traveled on the ocean. From... Well, the water taxis, the little ones are fun, like in Victoria. Yeah. Harbor. Yeah. Those are fun, right? He's traveled yeah. on the ocean. He's lying. He's traveled on the <laughs> ocean. <laughs> My definition also... of the ocean is clearly different than yours. Yeah. It's all the same. Yeah, clearly. Water. It's all the same. Salty. Yeah. Salty water. Salty. The orcas. Salty. The orcas come in here and they're from the ocean. Yeah. yeah. Right. There could be an yeah, orca NATO. No. Oh. Ooh. Okay. Uh oh yeah, you weren't here for the were you here for the shark I wasn't here the for the orca NATO, no. No. Shark NATO? No, nothing. All right. Okay. That happened a few days ago here on the shift. So if we're going to do an are you okay? And it's going to be about the ocean. You know what kind of are you okay it's about to become? Yar. Are you okay? Yar. there's no better way to see the world. Uh, the sea breeze. Ah, the sea breeze in your beard. Which is long enough to wave now. The nice. sounds of the ocean. Sounds of the sea bus, very soothing. Uh, but traveling the world by sea can take a little time, as is proven by the journey of trash sailed from South Carolina all the way across the Atlantic to Ireland. Oh, wow. We should probably add in some Ireland to our piracy here. Yeah. Hmm. Here's more for actually, Ryan, in, in your Irish or in your mm-hmm. pirate, whichever you need I'll, to I'll do control. the pirate. I did. That, that is an Irish she shanty. Uh, but yes. All right. Hold on. Let me get in pirate voice here. 
Yar, hear me more from WBMF News. Keith McGrell says on Sunday he and his family were taking a stroll on the beach. It's located on the west coast of Ireland. That's when they saw a large object had washed up on the beach. And it turned out to be one of these. A Myrtle Beach trash bin. McGrell says after closely inspecting the trash bin, they saw a large sticker that read the city of Myrtle Beach. McGrell says up until this point, he knew very little about Myrtle Beach. After finding the bin, he says his family immediately did some research, learning more about how far the object traveled. That's when they discovered the bin made its way from the east coast of the United States to Europe. He says the entire experience is major because it's rare for his family to find something on the beach they could trace back to an actual location. This is like a, a big message in a bottle. Um, you know, it's, it's from someone. Um, the fact that I'm talking to you now and I'm, I'm talking to people on social media about it, you know, it's, it's opened up those channels of communication between two, two communities on, on either side of the world. Like, um, so that for me is, is um, important. That's more disappointing than a message in a bottle, though, isn't it? It's a very stinky message in a bottle. Yeah, it's not the same. Message in the bottle is mystical, romantic. <laughs> Use diapers in a garbage can. It's not the same. <laughs> Covered in muscles. Yeah. Yeah, I can't see Sting writing a song about that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, well, um, where is the trash can? After it was found on the beach, it's being used as a, um, it's actually being used as a trash can now. Oh, okay. In Ireland. It's so, oh. it's, it's basically exactly where it was. Just, it's not where it was. They left the Myrtle Beach stickers on it though, just for reference. And the trip is a distance of over 4,000 miles. Meanwhile, there's no way of knowing when the city of Myrtle Beach lost the trash bin, but it's believed that it might've been blown away during a storm. Quote says, I don't think it's possible to tell when it went missing, but it probably was during a wind or storm event. We typically remove trash containers from the beach before a hurricane, but this one apparently had a mind of its own. The city of Myrtle Beach said on Facebook. It can take up to four weeks to sail across the Atlantic, if you're trying to, with propulsion. So, how long does it mm. take for a garbage can to float across? Uh, to be determined, I guess. Still kind of gross, but it is what pretty it is. neat, but pretty gross. Are you okay? Are you okay with Arby's? Yes. Oh All my god! It has been so long, and I crave it all the time. I what is it? The Great Canadian? Is that the one with just the roast beef and the cheese on it? Don't know. All I know is I, I order. Can I get the beef and cheese? No special sauce. Just give me the beef and the cheese, and that's it. I feel so good. The curly like, fries. It was the guilty pleasure of, or it is the guilty pleasure. I speak of fast food in past tense for myself, but I feel like it was the guilty pleasure of fast food. You know, like he had your high ends McDonald's and Harvey's and such. And Arby's was kind of the, you know, the one that was lower quality, but you wanted it. Five for five bucks, man. They did, didn't they used to have five it, for five bucks? Yeah. Might have been in the 90s. It's a good Ryan deal. Was still a, 
There's still a glimmer in a champagne bottle in a hot tub. Yeah. Valentine's Day. But it was um it was the best. And the curly fries. Mm-hmm. Like seriously. Yeah, they're they're amazing. Even, I miss when there Arby's were Arby's everywhere. There yeah, are so. two in Calgary and they're all four hundred years away from me. And I that's why I haven't had it in so long. It makes me sad. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't wow, notice really? the big one I used to always go to was on Lundy's Lane there in Niagara Falls, but I didn't notice when oh, I was Lundy's back there Lane. if it was still there. Lundy's Lane. Oh, Lundy's that. Lane. Um, it says there's an Arby's at Cross Iron. There is an yeah, Arby's at Cross Iron. Yeah. That's Shane, so seriously, close. next you know time in your Calgary. Tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. Can you can you um, pick you up? Next time you're in Calgary, let's go to Arby's, please. <laughs> okay. Done. See you. And I just, see you tomorrow, Thursday. I don't remember. Just one update. I just Googled it. The Arby's on Lundy's Lane. Looks like it's been redone, but it still exists. Nice. Oh, nice. Lundy's Lane is fun, isn't it? Yeah, it's fun. Niagara Falls. All right. Curly fries and roast beef. Simple formula. It's amazing. Now the fast food chain Arby's, which also owns Wendy's, really, is stepping up their (laughs) game with a bizarre marketing. A few years ago, Wendy's made a diss track mixtape against other fast food chains. It was great. That baconator go crazy. That spicy chicken go crazy. You can take a fry, dip it in a sauce, and still be so tasty. Mm. Them little tweets don't face me. Nope. McDonald's be so lazy. Wow. I know the reason you hate me, because I'm fast food first lady. It's Queen Wendy up in this thing. Huh. See, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty good. Now, if you know the old Wendy's commercials to play stereotypes, it doesn't sound like the same Wendy that was on the TV commercials. I'm okay with that. Arby's now needs to step up their game, and they've gotten in on the trend of making weird ads to get more customers to notice them. Let's be honest, they need it, because it's not very busy. Here's an example. Ever since Arby's partnered with E-League, all our food keeps blowing up. So why should we waste our time describing those cute little seasoned curls? They're twisty, crispy outsides. They're twisty, soft insides. Insides. Arby's, we have the meat. Sometimes weird works, but sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. I don't think that worked. No. Uh, it, it's a, that's a meme. That's a really big meme, but people don't play the whole thing. They just cut it right at the explosion, halfway through the explosion. Uh, but that that's it. They got some meme status, but I don't think it's making people rush to Arby's. Yeah. Well, they've got something else now. They're making vodka. Oh. Army's famous slogan is, we have the meats. But now they have something else to throw in there. Fry-flavored vodka. Oh. oh, I don't know. About I mean, that. potato vodka is made from potatoes, right? Yeah. Huh? Mm. Oh, Can no. you get it in curly and spicy? Because that would be amazing. The fast food chain has yeah. announced Tuesday that it entered the world of spirits after unveiling two distinct flavors of vodka that pay homage to its popular curly and crinkle fries. Though we've mastered the art of drive-through fries, we wanted to take it one step further by making them eighty-proof. Arby's Chief Marketing <laughs> Officer Patrick Schwing Patrick Schwing said in a press release, 
The company said it partnered with celebrity chef Justin Sutherland to create two signature Bloody Mary recipes using food-inspired vodkas. The cocktails also feature other items from Arby's menu, including its signature sauce and mozzarella sticks. Justin will reportedly be dropping the recipes on his social media accounts in the coming days. Okay, but do they sell the vodka? Like, are you, can you can't buy it in yeah. the stores? Yeah. Can you? Can you? There's like a limited access place where you can like it's I think it's going to be like trying to buy one of my pairs of shoes. It's going to be first come first serve. Uh, (laughs) It doesn't seem like an Arby's would have a liquor license. I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of my point. Yeah, you probably can't. It seems weird to me. You probably can't. Sorry, that just made me laugh. Yeah, can I get a great Canadian, a side of uh, curly fries, and I'll take that three-liter bottle of curly fry vodka to go, please. Thanks. Yeah, but then they would be like, yeah, thanks. That'll be $100. Just so you know, you got to drive seven blocks that way to the liquor store. Turn left. It's in the third aisle in the back. Here's your coupon. Like, we can't give it to you. And in Ontario, the LCBO, I mean, don't get me started on what the LCBO lets in their stores. That's a whole conversation. Ontario people, you want to drive Ontario people crazy, the LCBO. Although, if they were to carry anything at the LCBO, it would seem to me there would be an entire wall dedicated to French fry vodka. Nice. That's probably a thing. All right. Are you okay? We have time for one more. Are you okay? Are you okay with mooning? No, it's not nah, that funny. Nah, it's old, it's pretty, old school. Pretty dumb. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty dumb. Yeah. Pretty stupid. According to Wikipedia, mooning is the act of displaying one's bare puttocks by removing clothing. Uh, example: by lowering the backside of one side's trousers and underpants, usually bending over. Also potentially exposing uh, the genitals, which, by the way, if you want to moon properly, you have to smack each ass cheek a few times. What? Really? Oh, you're going to like this clip then. Okay. It's a prank that many (laughs) teens still think is hilarious. You know, teens. Some adults do, too. Like this guy who mooned police in his holding cell after being arrested for an OWI. How was I driving his car? Because your car was matched to damage found on the garage. Tire tracks lead up to the house police say Abel ran into early Saturday morning. The couple who lives here says they weren't home when it happened, and that's a good thing because the truck crashed just feet from their bedroom. Five feet to the east, we'd have had them in our bed. Back in the booking room, Abel started dancing in front of the camera, then made faces. Minutes later, the clothes started to come off. He mooned the camera. Wow. Why yeah. wouldn't you? I mean, that seems like a logical thing to do. You're not in enough trouble. All right. So let's get through this here quickly. Dropped his trousers in front of the camera. And uh, they, as he went by, I got out of the car, flashed my bum, pulled my trousers up, got back in the car, didn't think any of it. It was just a good laugh. He claims he did not arrest once and uh, feels the response was completely disappropriate for the circumstances. Well, keep your... Keep your butt in your pants, I suggest. Might be a good way to go. This is the Shift Podcast. If you're driving along and you see somebody on the side of the road who needs help, you probably try to stop. 
I mean, if it's someone who has a flat tire, you might look at your clock and say, nah, I got to get to my meeting. Sorry, buddy. Maybe next time. But if someone's lying on the sidewalk, you're like, uh, that's not good. Moment of panic sets in, right? Wish I would have taken first aid. Oh my God, do I have a naloxone kit? Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. What do I do, right? So that's normal life for me and for you. Well, there's a story about a guy. His name's Corey, Dr. Corey Adams. And it's been on the global site. He found a couple of people, two separate incidents that um, someone had fallen and they needed help. And it was a CPR scenario. Now it gets amazing because of where the connection of the people go to six degrees of separation. We've all heard those cliches, right? But they're kind of true when you think about it. Uh, Corey, thanks for being here, man. Really appreciate it. Oh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dr. Corey Adams is a cardiac surgeon in Calgary. Two separate instances where you were just living like Corey, the husband, the dad life. And you found people in distress in your life, and then their paths crossed with you. It's quite amazing. Can you tell us what happened? Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. So, I mean, I was saying that my wife, a uh, gynecologist, and two little fellows, uh, five and seven, we moved here in March of 2020. And we went to do a hike. We'd never done a hike in the mountains before. And we went to Grassy Lake in Canmore. We'd finished the hike. It was a great Saturday. And as we were coming out the hike, just getting the car, we got in our car. And we're driving to go to Canmore to look more at the mountains. And uh, um, friends of ours, who was one car ahead, said that somebody had passed out on the side of the road. And both of us being physicians, we got out. We went, walked towards this man. And uh, this gentleman in his you know, late 50s, early 60s, was what we call synodic and blue. And we couldn't feel a uh, femoral pulse. So that was a complicated situation. Because now you're on the side of the road in the mountains uh, with a lot of traffic that's parked and we started CPR and with the group of people that were around there, we coordinated, uh, a, a, an excellent CPR resuscitation. Then eventually the fireman came up from Camor. We cut, we shocked him. We intubated him in the field with the team and we put him in the ambulance. And my wife and I both thought, well, that was a long time. Uh, we'll see how, if he, if he makes it, we'll never know. But then I uh, checked on Monday morning. So that was Saturday when I went to work on Monday. This gentleman was in our uh, cardiac care unit, had a coronary angiogram done and showed that he had multiple blockages and he had a big heart attack, but he was neurologically fine. You could talk to him. He knew where he was. He knew he had passed out. So then two days later or three days later, I did a uh, coronary bypass times five for him. Wow. And that gentleman walked out of the hospital uh, five days later. So this guy, you found him on the side of the road, CPR, firefighters take him away. Good luck, fella. And then all of a sudden he yeah. rolls into your operating room. Yeah, rolls into the CCU and was seen by one of my colleagues who said, look, I saw this guy on referral for heart surgery. And apparently some cardiac surgeon had done CPR on him on the weekend. Any idea who that was? And I said, oh, that was my wife and I. We did that. And then I went to go see him, and I recognized his wife, and I recognized his son. They recognized me, and it was a pretty emotional moment. I bet. Did they look at you and go, wait a second, who are you? Yeah, they did. Like, it's strange, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, they said, you look different than what you did on the hike. <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah. And so we were, you know, my, obviously, you know, your family's emotional. And, and we said, wow, what a, an amazing event that he could have basically no oxygen to his brain because he wasn't breathing for 30 minutes to wake up and be perfectly fine. That's amazing. Okay, but this isn't the first time this has happened. 
Well, that was the first one. Oh, so was then that the, the first second one? Was that was the very first one, and we thought, well, we'll never. That'll never occur again. And so then, what happened was we were again. I was with the whole family, and we were going. I was on call that day, and I came home, and we said, "Look, let's go for a skate with our family." We drove probably 400 meters down the road and stopped at a red light. And my wife astutely said, that gentleman across the street just fell on his face. And I, you know, I said, who, which guy? And then I looked again and she pointed again and said, no, right there. He hasn't gotten up. And we were the first car at the stop sign. And there was a young person who was jogging along elbow drive who had fallen face down. So we pulled the car over and uh put the sign put the lights on made sure that there was no one else around we got out of the car her and i checked for a pulse and this young young gentleman had no pulse again so we started cpr again another uh friend another person who was there con- called 911 my wife and i kind of looked at each other and thought boy oh boy this is happening again and we started cpr on him within 20 minutes the um First responders had come, they continued CPR, and they took him to the hospital. And then from there, when they brought him into the emergency room, and well, not sorry, they brought him into the emergency room, he had woken up, he was awake and with it. They brought him into the coronary angiogram to see if he had had a heart artery blockage, but found out that he had a valve problem, and I was the on-call cardiac surgeon. So then they reached out and called me and said, well, we have this consult from this guy who had CPR downtown. And would you consider doing him for heart surgery? And I said, well, I know him because I just did a CPR. Wow. And then I did his heart surgery, uh, replaced an aortic valve and part of his aorta two days later or three days later. And he went home about four days later. Okay. First of all, I'd like to acknowledge how you just were like, yeah, I replaced his aorta and, and whatever. <laughs> for you, it's normal conversation. For us, it's it's so amazing. And I think that's why the crossroads of this is so amazing. Yeah, it really is. And so like, I mean, my message to a lot of people has been, look, CPR, the people who've designed CPR and do CPR, they teach it so well. You know, you push on someone's chest if you don't feel a pulse. There's a certain amount of minutes that go by. You remain state. You remain calm. You you stick to the rules. You do the things right. And then you let the professionals, the first responders, the EMS come and take over. And it just goes to show that anybody can do that. It's all about being, you know, know, as quick as you can respond in a timely fashion. And you just do the best you can because you're in a tough situation. From my standpoint, cardiac surgery and, and, uh, you know, that's a, oh, I did four years of undergrad plus two more years of graduate school plus six of cardiac surgery plus two more. So the part of actually doing the surgery is my most comfortable situation. Right. But then then those two do come together. So I would advocate everybody learns CPR. And then when you get to your cardiac surgeon, it's just a different, it's just different. So when you do CPR though, you're a doctor. So you do it, you know it, you, I mean, like you're prepared for it because in the operating room, you might have to do it. So like, it's an everyday thing for you to be able to always be ready for me. I'm doing the, uh, the staying alive method, right? Yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You got to sing the song. Yeah, you are. You're singing, staying alive and pushing to the chest. That's exactly right. That's it. That's right? right. That's how we think about it. But it's a good reminder to yeah. get things done. Now, I'm going to uh, acknowledge, okay, first of all, your dad, your husband, you clearly are plugged into your kids. You moved here in your in your world. You save lives every day, impact lives and change lives. Um, have you ever thought about if you hadn't moved here in March? What that looks like yeah. in this particular case? Yeah. I mean, clients are clients. Patients are patients. They're going to come across your desk because that's your job. But in this scenario, yeah. if like 
if you haven't moved here, you have to understand that like it, this doesn't work out the same way, Corey. Yeah, that's tough. You know, you find yourself thinking about the world and you say, like, I mean, I had never been to Grassy Lake before and it was just a random day that I went. I never drive the way that I drove that day to go down to that, that skating arena. I never go that way. Yeah. And so when you stop and think about how the world works, it gives you that feeling that you're just like, wow, is there something more? Yeah. Well, is, that's what I was going to say. To like, you, it's just pragmatic as a doctor. Science of life and yeah. death is science of life and death. Yeah. This must really take you to that next level of going like, I don't go that way. I don't drive that way. Aside oh. from the fact that the conditions needed your expertise anyway. Um, like that must be a real crossroads for you. How's that hitting you? It is. Yeah, it's difficult. And you it puts you in place about where you sit in the world. Like I thought what you said a few minutes ago, I said, look, what if I moved here one more month or if I never moved here? You want to hope, think that those two people would survive and someone else would do the surgery and, and someone else would have done the CPR and someone would do what you do and you're just a random part of it. But honestly, the, the odds are astronomical. Mm -hmm. you, so if, if I think what you're talking about, you know, analytical, okay, 10 cardiac surgeons here in, in Calgary, the chances of there being an event on Grassy Lake, a random path, and there's one there, really remote, but sure, things happen. A second one in downtown Calgary of a guy who's 34 years old, who's fit and who's running, uh, and then you're there with your wife and your two kids, the exact same scenario. Yeah. I mean, my kids can talk about it. They can say, oh, was it the first time we did CPR or the second time we did CPR? Well, so like, it's odd. Like, I mean, and, and it does cause me to stop and say, wow, like sometimes people just aren't meant to go or maybe people are meant to survive or we don't have as much control as we do have, you know? And I, and I do say words like, look, it's just luck and, and everything had to align for him. But it, it makes you think. And many nights I've thought about, you know, the the good and the bad. There's times when I, you do perfect surgery and things should go perfect. And you have an outcome that's not not the way you want. Well, and in us as physicians, we live by those and think about those. Yeah. But then you have one like this where something is perfect. And you say, like, how can this happen? And how can both be that way? That's amazing. See, it brings up so much for me. I mean, you talk about luck. And I always say the thing about luck. We often misunderstand luck as being a, this gift or this cosmic mystical experience, but really luck is nothing more than presence, right? If the, being present yeah. to a situation and being aware of everything around you that works to benefit yourself or the overall good, right? I mean, that really what luck sort of becomes, but does this inspire you to go about your day differently? Because it comes for me, the question you said about your kids, it's possible that you have inspired your kids differently in those moments than you ever could have as a dad or you ever could have even as a surgeon. I mean, how many of us grew up going, ah, my dad's a millwright. I don't want to be a millwright. That was me. And look at, I'm on the radio. How different is that? So it's yeah. possible you've inspired your kids on a whole new path, man. Yeah. And I think a lot about that. And like when I teach, you know, residents and, and we teach residents and you teach them, I always joke and say, like, we're as cardiac surgeons and as physicians, we're employed to be the calmest people in the most uncalm situation. And so take a deep breath yourself and maintain being calm. And so in that situation with around then, uh, 
we did we did CPR my wife and I, and there was another young guy who was there, probably about twenty. And he said afterwards, he was like, "It's amazing how calm you guys were. It gave us reassurance, and it, it let us know that what we were doing was right." And the same thing went with with, with what happened with uh, the gentleman in, in Grassy Lakes. People were pandemonium, and we just broke it down into steps and said, "You know, just maintain your being calm, continue your CPR, you know, make sure do the following steps, stay methodical, and don't overreact, and just do what you're trained to do." And I would think that seeing that from say my kids or somebody around there would say, well, I've seen my dad, I've seen my mom act in a way that's calm when it looked like things weren't calm because there was someone not alive on the ground with blood all over his face. And they just went about their job and did what people do their job. So hopefully I've inspired them to say, look, be calm in pressure situations and to maintain we and I talked to my kid. We talked to our kids, and my wife and I sat down and said, "Look, this person didn't have a life, and and what we did can come back, and you need to pay attention to these kind of things in your life, how to help other people, and how to do stuff." So, hopefully, even the story itself that tells people, you know, this is what you can do if you maintain a a, a sense of calmness and a sense of doing what you're trained to do, and this is your moment to be who you are. You talk about not driving those roots and the humanity part that really starts to kick in there. I mean, you know, cliche perhaps, but the butterfly effect of our lives, we see that all the time. I always sort of use the red light factor. When someone runs a red light, that changes everybody around them, right? Yeah. Either the other people wait, someone goes, now you're first in line, but now they're in the next line at the next light, so then they turn sooner. Like the, the effect, the ripple effect of the things we do is evident around us all the time. And I always use the red light as saying, look, if you ever run a yellow light or run a red light, well, now you've just changed the ripple effect around you. Everything yeah. changes forever. So to your point about, about not driving those ways or going to grassy lakes, but you talk about calmness. That young man who is there on the side who talks about calmness, that person might not be want to become a cardiac surgeon. That person might become a truck driver or a lawyer yeah. or, or whatever. Yeah. And so they could be driving a truck on a slippery road later in life and have just, you might've inspired the study of calmness or at least the awareness of it to a point where that ripples 30 years, 40 years down the road into a situation that creates more of it. I mean, that's really feels very hippie of me, but I love it. That's the, yeah. that's the impact. That's the hope I can tell you right now, like there you, you see in medicine and you see it more now you see, some people will say, you know, I, since I was 13, I wanted to be, you know, a pediatric, so a kid's cardiac surgeon. I mean, how do you know this? You wait for this moment, some epiphany to occur to you that this is the job you want to do. Um, that didn't happen with me. And like I say, I hope to inspire my kids in not that direction. I just went to university. I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed the academics. So I worked at academics. And then I moved towards graduate school and said, you know, I enjoy the, the graduate school lifestyle. And my wife was the same. She went to an undergrad and she thought about being an ophthalmologist, but she wasn't sure. She went into optometry school, but still enjoyed the academic world. But it was the hard work, the little detail. And then you shifted in towards medicine and you said, OK, well, I, I like the idea of the human body. And that became an interest. OK, there's a human mind. So I like the human body. I like doing things with my hands. Well, that falls into a, a field of surgery. Then you find yourself with a mentor and you say, okay, that person works hard. That person gets up. I want to be like that person. And for me, it just, it was just a, a copy into, okay, my mentor was 
a hardworking person and he was a cardiac surgeon and then I became hardworking and that just progressed into your residency. And then in residency, I said, okay, I like surgery. So fixing things with my hands. So I do that. And I like things controlled. I like golf. So I like things very controlled at golf and methodical. And that became what surgery is. And people initially were saying, you know, oh, you know, you save somebody, it's a superhero thing. Well, the personalities in my business that really succeed aren't those people who have these personalities where they think they're superheroes. They're actually the, the kind of people who uh, check blood work at 6 a.m., check blood work at 11 o'clock, do the detail, the little things, the boring things, the ones who are kind of nervous about, not nervous, but on top of all these little details. So we just try and inspire, you know, repetition, being flexible, being a good person and doing the best you can more than than some divine intervention that makes you become a cardiac surgeon or whatever. You can be anything. It's just those habits are very important. You did something backwards in all of this. When you're on in the operating room, you've got someone on the table. They're, in theory, alive when they get there. Then you're doing yeah. some real heavy maintenance and renovations. And then you're working against don't die today, which is I got to get you out of here alive. What you've created, and I don't know if you've looked at it this way, Corey, this one you did backwards. You didn't walk yeah. into don't die today, really. You walked into creating a new outcome, only exclusively creating a new outcome. You walked in from I got nothing to I got something. Is the satisfaction different with the randomness, the the kismet, uh, uh, I don't know, whichever you want to call it, is at the end of the day, as a surgeon, I imagine you going, I did my job today. Everyone's going to be all right. As a, yeah. as a, a, a just a, a driver and a dad, you walked into a situation. You don't, you didn't do your job today. Maybe you did, but you walk away from that going, holy crap. Like that just happened. Yeah. You're, yeah. Your point about backwards is exactly right. Yeah. I, ne I had never thought of that before. Uh, you're right. Uh, you get, you're right, though. I mean, like, I think about it that way. The smile is different, right? When you leave yeah, it. Yeah, it was. It was different. Um, the smile never really occurs until, or and you're always worried about that with patients. You're always, you're always thinking, gosh, I want them to do well. I want them to do well. So that was always there. The smile for this case really hit home at, say, four to six weeks when uh, the young, both patients called and they're six weeks out and they're at home and it sinks into them. They call you and say, you know what? I just had a birthday. I just attended a birthday. I didn't know that I was ever going to do that again. And that's that. That's there both ways, both ways that you described. I get that. That's my highest point of the job. Like it used to be, can I do this technical surgery? Because I'd love, I have a very technical job and I used to love the technical aspect and I still do. I love it. I love valve surgery and the technical points of it, but it's become more of, of just that, of you know, you do really good surgery and there's a great team. And then in the hospital, I'm constantly like, okay, I want them to do well. It's the six months or three months down the road when someone says, look, you gave me a portion of my life back or I feel I'm no longer short of breath. I'm happy to celebrate another year. I don't have chest pain. And that's when you start to see the benefits. So I didn't really breathe the sigh of relief for him for a long time. I, bet. I can tell you this. Um, there's an awful lot of people hearing this story, breathing a sigh of relief that you did move to Calgary and it does start there, oh. isn't it? Oh, well, thanks. I mean, we, we, I mean, we, we say that a lot and, and 
even the, my, the people that I worked with in the East Coast in St. John's, a lot of them have said to me, you know, we're sad to see you leave, but we're really happy for those couple people and what's gone forth in your life. And that's really nice. Uh, and that's what I would expect from from the place that I was born and grew up. And, and that's what people say to me on a regular basis. Yeah, that's fantastic. What a great story. And I think it's inspiring. Uh, if you take nothing away from this, because the conversation even itself gives you queasies, that's okay too. CPR is worth it. That's really what this boils yeah. down to. And I would say working in your day to be lucky is equally as worth it. That's where it lands. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, so we, you know, celebrating the good things, like, I mean, and it's, it's hard to let yourself celebrate the good things. Like in today's world, I mean, you look at healthcare, you have outcomes that are unexpected. I mean, every nurse and every physician has had things that have occurred to them that you didn't think were going to happen. And we have these good events and we end up getting stuck thinking about the negatives and, and it really hurts us. And mentally, we, a lot of us have a difficulty getting out of that. It causes a lot of stress and you can see it. You see it in the need for first responders clinics for healthcare and you see it in, in people that are very stressed. And so like I would say the same thing. Yeah, CPR is great. But I also think celebrating the good stories, the patient who has a five-year recovery from from cancer, the patient who recovers from their cardiac surgery, if you can celebrate those good moments in life, maybe it just makes the lows a little less lower and we can, it's okay to celebrate the highs. And I have to tell myself that now all the time. It's okay to celebrate that. You've had good outcomes for a long time. It's okay that this is the good thing because you're constantly worried about that one that you didn't see coming or that one negative thing and it keeps you down. So it's an effort to, to celebrate the good things. It's beautiful. It's absolutely fantastic. Dr. Corey Adams, cardiac surgeon, all around good passerby. Thanks, brother. Thanks, my friend. Thanks, Shane. This is the Shift Podcast. Welcome to the world of weird things with Greg Fish. Welcome to the program, Fish. Before we came to you through the break there, we were talking about Arby's. Arby's. Speaking of weird weird things that we enjoy, um, has Arby's ever been something that that you were a fan of or a part of? Not Do you know really? Arby's? Yeah. I know Arby's, but I don't have any strong emotions towards or against it. It's a very meh situation for me. What if I said that Arby's had come out with French fry flavored vodka? I would be disgusted yet somewhat intrigued. See, exactly. Although we did get one fantastic text message that said, um, isn't Arby's the place you end up at after drinking too much vodka from Trucker Dan? Yeah, that's actually a very good valid point. seems like they have it backwards. But hey, huh. why not? Okay. Well, there you go. We Maybe it's here just vertical the- integration? It could be. I don't know. But you can't sell liquor like that in Canada at the store. So I don't think it's going to work. But maybe uh, it, it works down in California where Greg Fish is with the uh, the Arby's and the roast beef and the cheese with no special sauce, please, on the onion bun. Super fantastic. How are you, Fish? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm good. Thanks. Welcome back. It's been a week here since we've a uh, week and a bit since we've been able to have a little chat. And you wanted to dig into this world of not really the world, the fake life. Is that where uh, is that where we're going today? 
Yes, that's exactly where we're going. We're going into the Facebook's metaverse, which is uh, it, it's a mess. Let me let let me just preface that right now. It, it is a mess. Uh, so essentially, the metaverse is like this this very interesting word, and it has this really loaded meaning in science fiction. Uh, really, metaverse comes from the novel Snow Crash where it was a virtual world that people who were kind of sick and tired of dealing with the real world, which was objectively kind of awful, went as an escape. And from there on in, every time that you had some sort of a metaverse, it's usually been a part of dystopian sci-fi where the real world really sucks. And you, after dealing with that real world, you're going to boot yourself into virtual reality and you're going to have all these connected intellectual properties there. You're going to have like a little virtual universe and you can go explore and don't have to think about the fact that the world is not great because of runaway climate change, war, economic collapse, whatever the dystopian setting is. Um, so Which that's is all caused kind of by a- Facebook anyway. <laughs> Yes. So it's a little so it's a little tone deaf. It's kind of like we're we're gonna take the we're gonna take the bad thing in sci-fi and we're gonna pitch it as our new product. So that that's already a problem. Uh so the big question is, what does it mean for you, the okay. average person who's expected to use Facebook? And what that really means in the real world is not much. Uh, have you uh, uh, have you ever played like Animal Crossing? Are you aware of what Animal Crossing yeah. is? Yeah, I'm aware of it. Yep, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, like that in virtual reality, but also trying to spy on you and force you to spend real money for things. Yeah. That's that basically what Facebook is pitching. Let's start here at the beginning with uh, Facebook changes the name of their parent company to Meta, playing off of the word metaverse which plays off meta and universe, which is basically like tissues and the brand name Kleenex. Everyone calls it got a Kleenex. In this particular case, they're doing it the other way. They've basically named themselves tissue and everybody who goes and says anything about tissues. Now you, you do that. So let's translate that to Canadian. It'd be like saying, what's the name of your hockey company? The name of our hockey company is called hockey. Right. So they're basically trying to claim the metaverse as their own and steal the word for themselves. And none of it's real. And all they want is you to spend less time in the real world, more time in their metaverse. And by the way, pay. Exactly. And buy their big Oculus headset as the portal from which you and you can't opt out of anything you have no privacy um they basically have you dead to rights now go play with virtual tokens and make sure you spend real dollars on them so that is kind of a, a interesting proposition in the sense of why would we do that you know if we wanted to have like little slice of life simulations we have the sims we have Animal Crossing. We have a bunch of games like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we wanted to, you know, we have all we have all sorts of games to play. We don't need them all to be connected. There's nothing that we really gain by connecting Grand Theft Auto and Tetris or 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 what have you. Like there's there's nothing to gain there. Uh, then on top of that, let's remember, Facebook can change its name to whatever it wants, but it's still going to be Facebook, no matter how hard they're going to try. 
and the biggest issue is that the people who are going to be most open to this, the younger generation, millennials like me and, and Gen Z, uh, to us, Facebook is where old people go to rant about politics. And that's where they read and share all the fake news. And we don't really want to be there. There's nothing really there for us anymore as much as we can help it. Uh, and Facebook is fretting about that so much so that they have actually tried to hide the decline in younger users from investors for a while and had to on the conference call admit that, yeah, we're really struggling with our perceptions among younger users and that growth is not uh, is not really great. So basically with Meta, what they're trying to say is, so here's how we rescue the company. We change the name to something that people don't really aren't really familiar with and don't really understand very well. Uh, and then we're going to get people who are mostly 45 and older to strap on virtual headsets to go into a virtual shopping mall because that is what the future is. That, that's their right. value proposition right now. Yeah. And so my nephew, who is, you know, in his early 20s, he used to always say to my parents, say, grandparents killed Facebook. Facebook was cool until all the grandparents signed up. And it seems to me that they are willing to let Facebook be aged in an effort to get younger and bring in the younger folks. But I think of Star Trek. Those old uh, simulators in Star Trek where they used to walk in, Star Trek Next Generation, you walk in the room, the doors would open, and you could turn that room into anything. It was a full simulation. And that's kind of what I think of what they're trying to pull off here. Well, they're a couple hundred years behind on that. Like, that is... Huh. We, we're not going to have that kind of technology for a very, very long time. The best you're going to get is you strap on a VR headset and that's about it. Like we don't we don't really have a whole lot of really compelling VR technology yet uh, for a number of reasons. First, it's really difficult. Uh, second of all, uh, very difficult technologically because just the speeds that you need to keep up with people's motions and fields of view and recalculate everything in real time, it's very it's very computationally expensive, uh, and in it's very complicated, especially when you have to start attaching wires and so on so to make sure that the uh, actual device is being fed with power. The second is more of a physiological problem when um, we're really good at orienting ourselves in the real world. And when we go into a virtual world, a lot of people report having some form of motion sickness or nausea because uh, their eyes and their body is not feeling what their eyes are, are, not, are not feeling what their eyes are seeing. Mm. So that kind of that kind of incongruity between what you see and what you feel uh, can make you feel sick. So if you spend a lot of time in that metaverse, you're just you're going to feel kind of queasy. So that's already going to be a problem. And then on top of that, any sort of other um, haptic feedback or extensions, they require that you have to put on like special gloves and special shoes and this and that. And by the time that it's all said and done, it, it's just it it doesn't none of this like really works. The, that immersive technology that you see in sci-fi movies. It doesn't exist yet. We we have some possible ideas how to like use mist to simulate certain 3D objects and holograms, but we don't really they're not they don't look very convincing. We don't really know how to make them more convincing yet. Like we technology just isn't there yet 
for for what they're pitching it. That's kind of like me trying to pitch you warp travel, but I don't actually have a spaceship and the warp travel is just tickets down the street to the movie theater uh, to see a movie about a rocket taking off. Like that's, right. that's where we kind of have ended up with. So again, this, the, the, we, we talk about like all these really complicated tech things. And then when we bring it down to what are they actually doing? And it's, it's just, it's very, it's all incredibly very underwhelming. And then there's also, you know, the whole thing of you know, their entire business model is to stalk you and sell information about you to people who basically want to try and see if they can sell you something. So, you know, imagine you're playing your video game and all the ads are personalized to you, which is already kind of creepy. Um, and then on top of that, you have to spend real money on it, which is annoying because you already bought the game. And then on top of that, there's quite a possibility that as you're walking through between games, there's a neo-Nazi rally that is planning on how to show up at a school board meeting and intimidate people who are saying, hey, maybe we should wear masks during a pandemic. So yeah, that's, so like that's going to be your meta. Yeah, that's going to be your meta experience in a nutshell. Well, someone's going to find a way to get into it and penetrate the system and get the negativity in front of everybody. I think back to those those pods you used to be able to get into. The last time I was in one, when I was at that uh, airspace museum in Dulles, just outside Washington, D.C., and they used to have them, you'd see them at the malls or, you know, um, maybe at the carnivals. It's like a pod you get in. There'd be like six seats, and it'd be like a roller coaster or a jet fighter, and on one screen would be the view, and then the thing would tip, and it was all closed in, so you couldn't tell if you're tipping and whatever. And basically, we've gone from that into a surround sound headphone goggle scenario of you sitting in a chair in a mall giving you exactly the same thing. That's it. That's as far as we've gotten. Now, yeah. if I look at all of these pieces, I think this is where, Greg, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree, I think this is where the humanity part kicks in, the harsh reality of humanity. I think that when they come into simulations and things like this, the industry that's actually going to win this race is going to be brothels and porn stars. Because the simulation that everybody on the internet will go for will be the simulated sex. You would think so. And there have been many, many attempts. And I would agree with you that that is going to be the most profitable thing. And that's what everybody wants to do. But the actual technology behind it has been... Um, not super safe and kind of glitchy and very difficult because now you're dealing with fluids and everything has to be insulated and there's only the so risk much of shock. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. There, there's only so much motion you can do before you can do some damage to very delicate soft tissue. It's, it's very complicated. There's definitely people who are still working on this. Uh, but you know, if you actually ask them about what, what, you know, what is it, what is this, how is this field actually progressing? And you can actually look it up. There's a, there's a name for it. It's called sex tech. Uh, it used to be called teledildonics, which is not a great name at all. So that's why they, they've upgraded the, uh, upgraded the label. Uh, but if you ask them how, how all this technology is going, they're going to say it's very difficult. It is extremely, extremely difficult. We still need a lot of time and effort to make it work. And there's quite a bit of a question of whether we will actually be able to make passable technology, you know, in the next 
15, 20 years. So again, I'm sure somebody will eventually figure some of these things out, uh, but it is a lot more complicated. I think exactly what you're talking about, these these little pods that that tip and, and, and give you the little views, they're cool and they were very popular and people said, okay, what's next? What's more immersive? And people started saying, okay, well, we'll do the VR headsets. We finally have the technology to really make them work. Um, but then other problems started appearing. It's just the industry got a little bit ahead of itself in terms of VR and there's just still a lot more research to do to actually make it immersive. And what's really going to end up happening is the most immersive things that you're going to get are going to be used for things like training soldiers and astronauts and people with extremely demanding uh, professions that where you really need to build muscle memory. And it's not really possible to put them in the situations where they have to develop that that muscle memory uh, and those and memorize all those routines because you either it's either very expensive or very, very dangerous. So I think that's where you're going to see that technology really take off first, and then it will be adopted as quickly as possible by adult entertainment, and then it's going to trickle down into our everyday lives. Um, I can't give you a timeline on that because people have been saying, "Oh, you know, 20 years ago, you know, 20 years ago they were saying, oh, yeah, this is when we're going to have all the VR stuff figured out,' and um, we don't, we still don't." It's just it's just a difficult problem from a technological standpoint and from a physiological standpoint. So when Facebook first came out, it seemed like they were trying to keep everybody and create their own internet, right? Websites, check-ins, location services. I went to this store, so I checked in Square and all these different things. And then that sort of went away because the internet itself got so big. Google really took over letting access to the internet become very, very easy. I would say that was sort of the battle between Facebook try to keep everybody inside, Google set everybody free. Now it looks to me like they're trying to keep everybody inside again. They're back to the same old tricks. Is there any benefit to having all of your wires crossed from Instagram to Facebook to all of the things, WhatsApp, all of the things that Facebook owns, or excuse me, Meta owns? No, there, no. there really isn't. There's, there's no need for everything to be connected. The only reason why it's connected is so they can spy on you. I mean, the other thing that, that you need, that we need to keep in mind, I think is that, you know, with all the, with all the check-ins that people used to do, people have stopped doing that partially because it was kind of stupid and dangerous uh, to tell people like, Hey, by the way, I'm out of the house in case you wanted to rob it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In case you wanted to rob it, I'm, I'm away for like, a week, so have at it. Um, and then the other problem is that people got sick and tired of it because you know I'm gonna log everywhere I'm go, and I'm gonna I have to notify all these people. I'm gonna have a bunch of questions about, well, weren't you there last week? Hmm. Who wants to deal with that? So mm -hmm. it it a lot of these little things that were used to be cool back in the day, they were cool for like six months because they were new. And people, they try to gamify them and people competed for those virtual prizes. And they realized those virtual prizes don't really do anything for them. A, B, they actually might compromise their safety in the real world. And C, they're being tracked by advertisers. So they just kind of stopped and hmm. decided, I don't really want to do that. And now it's just the rare outlier who's like, oh, I'm here and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And, and the vast majority of people look at it and say, why are you posting this? Why are you letting everybody know where you are? That's not that's not great. Um, you know, I do remember back in the day, 
um, I'm, I'm just old enough to remember when social media like really started taking off. I, I was finishing high school. I was getting into college. That was the place where you could meet people who you probably had a lot in common with. This was a, a place to, to find, uh, you know, to organize parties and to find really cool events. It was very useful. And now it just doesn't really seem to be, be because okay i have the news that like like it's not yeah. it's not an escape it's not a it's not about community it's not about friendship it's about reality slapping you in the face mm-hmm. selling you crap and saying oh yeah by the way when you're done with all of that so and so had a baby and so and so had a sandwich yeah okay well, not even the photos anymore like it used to be put up a photo gallery show your friends it was basically your post vacation slideshow opportunity and that's not even it's why they had to buy instagram because everybody started moving their their photos into the more magazine style of instagram it's amazing world of weird things.com if you want to read more about how facebook's new parent company meta is basically taking over the world infecting it with nastiness and charging you money to do it too it's crazy fish thanks brother appreciate it always a pleasure thanks for listening to the shift podcast make sure you subscribe rate and review the show and share with anyone you like get it on apple podcast google podcast spotify and curious cast.ca